Go ahead and take out your Bibles and turn to Habakkuk chapter 3. Habakkuk chapter 3. If you haven't been with us the past five weeks, uh, it's okay. You can use your table of contents to find Habakkuk. If you've been here for five weeks, hopefully you can find it by now. Uh, I hope that uh, you've taken the challenge over these past weeks and you've been reading through the book of Habakkuk. If you, uh, if you haven't done that, I just want to encourage you to do that this week. One last time after we're done here in this final week together in this book, go home and maybe if you can find even some time this week to sit down and read through this in one sitting. Pray through it, meditate through it, consider it in light of how we've spent these last weeks in this book together. Um, we started out five weeks ago considering how to wrestle with God in the complexities of life. How to, learning, hopefully together, how to move from complaint and confusion and struggle to, to trust by fixing our eyes on our sovereign, good, just God. We talked about lament because that's what this book of the Bible is. And, and lament is this, this honest humble conversation with God about, about brokenness in our world and in our lives that, that, that cultivates in us, that results in this deeper trust in him. Uh, we saw in Habakkuk chapter one that he turned to the Lord first in his struggles. And then he was honest with the Lord, particularly to start with about the state of God's people, the violence and strife and contention and injustice that he saw there. And God, God graciously answered him. And he says, I'm doing a work that you wouldn't even believe even if I told you. And I'm going to discipline my people and I'm going to use the Chaldeans to do that. And then Habakkuk prays a couple of weeks ago and expresses his his fear of the Lord, and he asks for life and understanding and, and mercy. And then last week, Pastor Chris took us to that passage, that vision of God where Habakkuk reflects. He reflects on the character of God and the work of God and the promises of God. And now, this week, Habakkuk 3, 16 to 19, Habakkuk resolves to trust and to rejoice, to rejoice. These, these last verses of this of this book, they illustrate for us the main point of the whole book, which is Habakkuk 2.4, the righteous shall live by his faith. They show us what it looks like to live by faith, to have a, a deep hope, even when we don't understand. So let's jump into these verses. Father, um, open our eyes so that we might see wondrous things from your law. Do a work by your spirit, through your word in our lives to transform us into your image, please, Lord, today. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Habakkuk 3, starting in verse 16, it says this, I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet, first resolve. I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Verse 17, though the, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Verse 18, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. 
I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places to the choir master with stringed instruments. Uh, three concluding truths to end this series about deep hope. The first one is this. Deep hope is not the absence of fear, but the presence of proper fear. Deep hope is not the absence of fear, but the presence of proper fear. Look at verse 16. He says, I hear and my body trembles, and my lips quiver at the sound, and rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me, yet I will quietly wait. The first question I think we have to ask in this verse is, what is he terrified of here? And there's a whole lot of debate around what he's talking about. Is he terrified here at the vision of God that he's just received in the previous verses? Is he terrified here at the, at the judgment of the Lord that's going to be coming upon Judah? Or is he just terrified here at the Chaldeans that are coming to invade them and everything that that means? I think the answer to that question as I studied through this this week is yes. He's He's terrified. Like there's a, there's a holy fear of the Lord that's here. Pastor Chris talked about that a couple weeks ago. And the, and the Lord is, is disciplining his people through the Chaldeans in order to draw his people back to himself. Like God is awesome. But I think also here, he's fearful of just what lies ahead. Like there's actually indications in the way that this is written that maybe he even hears the rumble of the coming army in the distance. The Chaldeans are coming. All of this wrestling with God, all of this hearing about his plan, and it's here. It's on the horizon, and it's terrifying. See, sometimes, even though we know the big picture, it's scary, isn't it? Um, some years ago, I, uh, I rolled my ankle while I was running and really messed it up bad and went to the doctor and the doctors x-rayed it, looked at it, did all this. They're like, yeah, you're gonna have to have surgery because we need to go in there and there's like ligaments need attached, there's bones rolling around, like we need to fix this, it's bad. And I, I just, I was like, no, is there any way we can not do that? Because I hate surgery. I know. None of us like surgery, but I particularly don't like it, like at all. And some of the reasons are is one, um, so when I get an IV, I tend to pass out. So I know big, big tough Nate um, passes on it. So, and it's so embarrassing. And I always go in and I'm like, okay, you're gonna give me the IV and here's what's gonna happen. A few minutes later, I'm gonna turn really pale and then I'm just gonna take a little nap. And, and it's all right, in a few minutes, I'll wake back up, it'll be all good. And they're like, oh no, what can we do? Like, like I'm like, I'm, I don't know, it's something psychological. And then they, they put the IV in and they're like, and they're so comforting. They're like, Nate, you did great, good job. Here's a candy, you know? And, and I'm, like, I'm like, no, I wasn't like scared of that. That's not the problem. I was like, just, just wait. And sure enough, they leave. They come back a few minutes later, I'm out. And then it gets really dramatic, like they're smelling salts and they're like, are you okay? And I was like, I told you I'd be fine. And I just hate it because it's so embarrassing and like horribly humbling every single time. 
And then on top of it, right, you're, you're having surgery after that. They're cutting you open and rooting around in there and doing a bunch of things. And it's going to mean going home afterwards and pain and medication and boredom and being laid up and everything that comes with that. And then there's physical therapy. And sometimes that's worse than the original pain that you had. Like it looks horrible lying ahead and I don't like it. And yet at the same time, my doctor is sitting there and they're encouraging me that they can see the bigger picture. They can see what really needs to happen. They're like, listen, there are quality of life, vitality, long-term health things that you need to consider here. And it might be hard here for a season, okay? But I promise you, it's gonna be better in the end because you did this, right? That's what they tell us. And what do we do? We listen to them because they know what they're talking about and we trust them. Now think with me, how much greater is God than our doctor? How much does he see the bigger picture even more so than they do or so we don't pick on doctors? How much greater is God than our accountant? That's kind of a thing right now. How much greater is God than our senator or than the reporters that we choose to listen to? Habakkuk right here in verse 16 is hearing God say, trust me. But he's facing an indefinite amount of time that is going to involve suffering. And that's scary. What are you facing right now? What is presently on your horizon that's terrifying? I know some of you, and I know Some of you are facing particularly some things even in this moment right now this morning that are scary. Uh, Amy and I have had a few of those things in the last couple years, and I don't need to share them all, but I mean, one of of those things has been raising teenagers. (laughs) Do you realize they don't come with an instruction manual? And we know the truth, right? We know they're not ours. We know they've been given to us for a season and we're meant to steward them and love them and show them Jesus and teach them Jesus and then send them out and leave them in the Lord's hand. We know all of that truth and yet at the same time, you're scared to death. You're like, man, I'm gonna screw this up royally. How am I gonna break them? (laughs) Am I gonna set them up well in this life? Am I gonna do this faithfully? And it's terrifying even when you know the truth. And as I came to this verse, I thought, man, verse 16, I think it's is actually really, really hopeful. And you're like, why, Nate? Like, what do you see in there that's hopeful? Trembling, quivering? I think it's hopeful because I look at this and I say, it's okay to be scared. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're not trusting it. It can mean that just trust is scary. Trust is hard sometimes, right? I I thought this week of John chapter 21, you don't have to turn there. I'm turning there really quick. In John chapter 21, Jesus is getting ready to ascend back to heaven and to leave his disciples behind. And he has this conversation with, with Peter. He says this, he says, feed my sheep, Peter, shepherd my sheep. Verse 18, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said 
to show by what kind of death Peter was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said, follow me. I mean, think about this conversation with Peter. Imagine what's going through his head. Like, the Lord's getting ready to leave them. And he's sitting down, and he's just gone through this conversation where the Lord is reaffirming Peter's faith in him. And he says, shepherd my sheep, care for, tend my flock, Peter. Oh, and here's a little prediction for you. One day, you're going to be crucified. And tradition tells us that he was. In fact, tradition tells us that he was crucified upside down. He's like, you're going to die for my sake. And then he follows it up with, follow me. Imagine what's going through Peter's mind. He knows he's meant to trust the Lord and follow him. I just got told that at some point, and at an unannounced time, I'm going to suffer the most horrific death possible for the sake of Christ. The one that I just witnessed him go through. And we know that it wasn't for like 30 years later that this actually happened. I think about how he walked through life. Every time they ended up in prison, every time something difficult happened, imagine what was running through his mind. Like, is this that moment? Is this that moment where I give my life for the Lord, where I suffer this? And yet in all of that, what's Jesus say? Jesus says, in spite of what I'm about to tell you, in spite of how hard it's gonna be, Peter, in spite of what I'm predicting lies ahead in your future, follow me. Trust me. Habakkuk here in verse 16 has his first resolve of these verses. He says, yet I will quietly wait. I will quietly wait. Habakkuk is like, I'm terrified, but I resolve to trust you, Lord. That's proper fear. That's proper awe, when in spite of how scared we are, we still say, I resolve to trust you, Lord. I will wait, Habakkuk says, without protest for your justice, for our deliverance, for God's promises to be fulfilled, which by the way, Habakkuk didn't even get to see in his lifetime. And what's really cool, I think, about this is we know the immediate context here of Habakkuk, right? It's talking about the invasion of the Babylonians, taking Judah into exile. They were going to experience this time of captivity. They were hoping for their deliverance from that. But this book plays a significant role in the grand theme of redemption that we see God sovereignly weaving together in his word. And what's amazing is that salvation would come ultimately through a similar and a better resolve of Jesus. Remember Gethsemane? Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, facing the cross ahead of him, facing the wrath of the Father poured out for all mankind, in anguish, sweating like great drops of, of blood. What does he say? He says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, yet, not my will, but your will be done. Difficulty lies ahead. It's scary, isn't it? Follow him. Trust him. Proper fear. Proper awe. That 
transcends, that goes deeper than the immediate thing that we're facing. Deep hope. Deep hope is not the absence of fear, but it's the presence of proper fear. Second, second truth here is this. Deep hope transcends our circumstances. Deep hope transcends our circumstances. Look down there again at the end of verse 16 and following. It says, yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Verse 17, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail. The fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet, the second resolve of Habakkuk here, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. This resolve here, I will rejoice, should make us go, how Habakkuk? Why? Well, because our hope so far outweighs any circumstance that we could possibly face. I mean, look at verse 17 and how he describes this situation. Fig tree, no blossoms. Fruit, gone. No produce. Fields yielding nothing. No flocks, no herds. What he's describing at this time is everything that we depend on for life is gone. Everything has failed. This description is a complete and utter hopeless situation. And yet verse 18, he says, my hope rests in something so sure that not even this will cause it to waver. See, I think we would, we would all say, like, I want that hope. <laughs> Could that be part of my life? Could verse 18 and 19 be the way that my life is patterned, the way that my faith is, and yet I think sometimes we forget that that deep hope typically, typically is taught, not caught. See, we want, we want verse, verses 18 and 19 to be true of us. But we want it without the rest of Habakkuk. We want it without verse 17. But the Lord in his sovereignty chooses to teach us hope through the journey of lament. He teaches us how to, how to trust him. He enables us to trust him as we, as we walk with him in, in relationship and depend on him, even when we don't understand. And I'm going to say again about this verse, I, I think this is hopeful too. You're like, why Nate? Well, because we're learning. We're learning. He's, he's teaching us this. I think so often we're like, I just want that now. Like, I just want to go from zero to that kind of trust. And the Lord's like, I'll teach you. You'll learn. Um, I think of Philippians chapter four with Paul, at the end of this epistle, it says this. Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, 
Why? Because I have learned. I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I've learned how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and in every circumstance. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. What is that secret? Paul says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That's the secret. Paul's like, I've been on a journey of, of dependence and and humbling, and struggle, and discipline. I've been taught by the Lord this lesson. I mean, God wanted to grow Paul and to use him. So what did he do? He allowed him to be thrown in prison. It's not my idea, the best path of that learning, but what do I know? You see, the, the very thing that we are lamenting is being sovereignly used by God to form us and to use us and to draw our attention to his presence with us and to press us into him so that no matter what our circumstances, we would hopefully learn to depend on him, to trust him, to hope in him. A 19th century preacher Charles Spurgeon, in the midst of his suffering, he suffered horribly in his life, physically, spiritually, and emotionally through some different things. In the midst of all that, he said this. He said, I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. I have learned, I have learned to kiss the wave, to see God's grace even in the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. The path to trust in all circumstance, it runs through lament, not around it. It's in our lament that we learn to trust the Lord in spite of every circumstance that faces us in this life. And we learn to kiss the wave. Deep hope transcends our circumstances. Last, last truth is this. Deep hope is joyfully rooted in our Savior. Deep hope is joyfully rooted in our Savior. Look down again here. Though the fig tree should not blossom, no fruit on the vines, the olives fail, fields gone, flocks gone, herds no more. Verse 18, yet... I will rejoice. I'll rejoice in the Lord. I'll take, take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. There is joy. You realize we're not meant just to simply get through this life. We're not meant to just grit our teeth and endure and persevere and just make it to the end. There is joy to be had. Even now, even in the midst of the most difficult circumstances. I love the very ending of this. Look at the last thing here in Habakkuk. To the choir master with stringed instruments. This ends 
telling us that this was a prayer that was meant to be sung. In the midst of all of this coming difficulty, Habakkuk is singing. How? Because of where our hope rests. Our hope rests in Christ. God is my salvation. The Lord is my strength. With Paul saying this in a different way later, he says, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Our hope is grounded in the character and in the work and in the promises of our God. And Habakkuk, Habakkuk starts this book. He starts this book looking for answers, doesn't he? Like he's got questions that he wants answered. And he ends this journey of lament by getting the Lord. He finds out that the Lord is the answer to all of his questions that he didn't realize was the answer. And this journey of lament leads him to this expression of trust that's basically like, come what may, I have the Lord and he is enough. This is Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. What is something in your life that you really desire, that you really want or would hope for or need? Maybe it's some alleviation from something difficult. Maybe you're like, I want my health physically, mentally. I want financial security. I want a spouse. I want a different spouse. (laughs) I want safety, security. I want a job. I want Children, what is, what is your desire? What do you want? Now imagine this. Imagine if I could offer you this and say, hey, uh, you can have that desire today to its fullest. Or you can have relationship with Jesus. What do you choose? And don't be too quick. Don't give Sunday school answer, Jesus. We know it's more complicated than that, don't we? I thought about that this week. I asked myself that, and I gave the Sunday school answer right out of the gates, Jesus. And then I stopped, and then for a second, right there in my mind, it was like, ooh, that would be nice. Why do we do that? Why do we even question? Why do we even pause on that? And I think think it's because we haven't really truly grasped what Paul talks about in Philippians 3, where he says, I count everything as loss. I count it all as rubbish. Why? Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Um, there's this account in, uh, in Luke 17. I've mentioned it before, I think, because I just love it so much. But Jesus encounters these 10 lepers. And these lepers are at a, at a distance, and they're yelling out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And Jesus says, go and show yourself to the priest for cleansing. And as they're going, they're healed. And one of those former lepers turns around and runs back to Jesus and falls at his feet and he worships. And I love the moment. Jesus is a little like, uh, wait, 
10 of you? I think I healed 10 of you. Was anybody keeping count? I thought there was 10, and yet one of you, one has returned to give glory to God? And he says, stand up. Your faith has made you well. You see, that day, 10 lepers received something from Jesus. All of them did. They all got something from him that day that was awesome. Nine of them walked away satisfied with what they got from him. One leper received Jesus. And that worth was so much more. Habakkuk, here in verses 18 through 19, he gets it, doesn't he? He's basically saying, take it all. Take it all. I'll take God. I will rejoice. Will we say the same thing? Will we resolve the same thing? Take it all. Give me Christ. He is my strength. I don't have to be strong. He is. I don't have to save myself. He does. He is my salvation. He is our savior. I mean, let's just stop for a second and just meditate on what that means. He has saved us. He saved us initially from the penalty of sin, didn't he? By grace, through faith in him. The Bible says we are justified. We are declared righteous, not guilty. All of my sin, he takes that penalty and I get freely all of his righteousness. He saved us from the penalty of sin. Not only that, he is saving us from the power of sin. Day by day by day, he's forming us into his image, making us more like him, making us holy. The Bible calls it sanctification. By his spirit, through his word, in all of our circumstances, he's doing a good in our life. And that ultimate good that he's doing in our life is he's making us more and more like him. But not only that, he will save us. He will save us one day from the presence of sin, from the presence of suffering, from the presence of pain. The Bible calls it glorification. We will stand before him. And like Paul, we'll be able to say that light momentary affliction that didn't feel so light and momentary in that moment, but that light momentary affliction was preparing for us a weight of glory beyond all comparison. Rejoice, rejoice in hope. He is our salvation. He's our strength. All our hope is rooted in him. Oh, that's deep hope. How do we reflect on this series? Five weeks of being in Habakkuk. It's been kind of difficult, right? It's been a hard word from the Lord about what it looks like to, to trust him in a hard world, right? But uh, as I was thinking about it, I thought of this. Uh, back in March, we were watching March Madness. Um, I think some of you just opened your eyes for the first time. Oh, March Madness. We, we didn't watch a lot of March Madness, but we watched a few games as a family. And one of those games, I think it was uh, the University of Miami was playing Kansas. And I think it was in maybe the Elite Eight is when that happened. And, and it was halftime. University, University of Miami is down by one. 
And, and the reporter at halftime goes to uh, interview the coach of Miami, Coach L. Um, if you know anything about him, he's, I think, one of the most experienced coaches in college basketball. Like, he's been coaching since the 1970s. He's got, like, 700 wins to his name. I mean, this guy knows basketball. Um, and she leans over and she asks him, she goes, how are you going to slow them down? How are you going to slow Kansas down in the paint in the second half? They're killing you in the paint. What are you going to do about it? And this, this coach, Coach L, answers in all of his wisdom. Mind you, this guy knows basketball. Like, and basketball is complicated. There's plays and there's strategies and there's people involved. And there's all kinds of things. that, And he knows them all. Like He's been coaching long enough. He's, he knows it all. And his answer to that question, what are you going to do, was this. He says, we've got to run faster. That's what we've got to do. He's like, we're running at our normal pace. Um, and we can't do that today. We're going to need to run faster. And I loved that. Like, it was so clear. Like, there could be so many complicated ways to look at the problem at hand, which was beating them in the paint. And he's like, it's not that complicated. Don't overcomplicate what doesn't need to be overcomplicated. It's simple. We just got to run a little quicker. And I think sometimes we do that, don't we? Life is complicated. The Christian life is complicated. So don't overcomplicate what it looks like to navigate the complexities of life with the Lord. He's not trying to hide from us. He's not trying to confuse us. He wants you to know him. And he wants you to know how to, how to think and how to live and how to trust him. And, and I don't know what your specific circumstances are this morning. I don't know what you're struggling with right now, what you're suffering. I don't know all the questions that you might be asking, but I do know this. He knows. He has sovereignly placed you, at least for this week and maybe for the last five weeks, under his word here in Habakkuk. And what does he tell us to do here in Habakkuk, in his word? He tells us to do this. He says, when you're struggling, turn to him. Turn to him always. Turn to him in everything. Turn to him first. And then what? Be honest with him. Be honest with him in your struggles. Ask him to do what only he can do. Reflect on who he is and what he has done, and the promises that he has given us, and then what? Then resolve. Resolve to trust him in all circumstances, and then rejoice in the hope of your salvation. That's what we do. And you're like, but then what, Nate? Well, then turn. <laughs> turn to him in everything. Always be honest with him. Ask him. Reflect on him. And resolve to trust him in all circumstances and rejoice in hope. As we move into next week, we're starting a new sermon series called Sent Forward. And we're going to be thinking about what it looks like to be sent with the hope of the gospel. And before we do that, I thought it would be a good transition for us to stop and ask ourselves a question as we go into next week in this new service. I, I, I think we need to remember that the world is suffering too. The world is asking the same questions we are. 
They're saying, I don't understand, and I don't understand why. And those in the world are struggling with difficulty and hardship and suffering and confusion. But they don't have the hope we do. So my question to us as we think about this next sermon series and digging into the word of God together in the fall is, will we take that hope to them? Will we live our lives in a way that shows, that demonstrates the hope that is in us? And will we tell others about the hope that the Lord has placed in us because he's the God of our salvation? Choose to trust. Even when you don't understand, even when it's hard, resolve to trust him. He is good. He is for you. He is faithful, he is sovereign, and he is worthy. I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. Father, thank you for this word that you've given to us through Habakkuk. It's hard, Lord. <laughs> I mean, I, I think about some of the things I, I'm wrestling with in my own life, and I know even how light that is compared to what some of our faith family is wrestling with right now. And we're scared. <laughs> oh, there's so much that scares us every single day. But you are so good. <laughs> Would you help us? Would you help us in our weaknesses? Would you help us in our, our lack of faith? Would you draw us to yourself? Would you use the circumstances of our life to teach us what it looks like to depend on you and to be content in you and to trust you and to hope in you no matter what our circumstances? Lord, when our eyes are coming down from you and they're tempted to focus on merely the waves that are in front of us. Would you help us by your spirit, Lord, to lift our eyes up and to see you and to hope in you and by your strength to learn to kiss the wave that throws us into you. We, we can say here today, Lord, we want to know you and we want to know the power of your resurrection and we want to come, become like you in your death and yet we tremble at what that means because we know that the way that you typically choose to refine us into your image is through, is through the difficult things of this life. And so looking at that, we tremble and we ask for your grace and your help in our time of need. We ask for your grace and your help to help us resolve to trust you no matter what may come. Father, I'd ask that, that you would graciously in allowing us to do that, would you help us to be a light to a dark world? Lord, would this community around us, would our families close to us, see the hope by which we live when it makes no sense in light of what we're facing? And would through that testimony, they be drawn to your perfections and your beauty and the hope that you offer and would they receive you? 
Help us, Lord. We need you. We love you. You are good. In Jesus' precious name, amen.